I'm coming from a background, black British, Jamaican parents, all of that like culture and hearing about, you know, what it was like for them growing up and how, you know, they had such a strict upbringing and stuff. So this is what I'm going against potentially. Um, and I just want to, some sort of affirmation or reminder of what it means to have and raise three children. Really, the term free child um, and kind of like what this means and what this creates and dare I say the benefits and the risks of this. I'm at the very beginning of my unschooling journey with my two children. I've got a son who is seven and a daughter who was almost five. Yeah, I hope you can help. I trust children. Fear of the Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers diverse narratives, insightful commentary, learning with our children and de-schooling ourselves, owning our multiple identities and treating children with dignity, creating community and sharing conversation from often silenced spaces. This statement, raising free people, what does it mean? What does it look like in action? Is it even possible? Raising free people, the term and the work that it invokes, tends to appeal to a certain type of person. The type of person who has particular, usually unpopular, opinions and motivations for parenting or working with people before they become adults. This work is oriented toward liberatory relationships by trying to avoid or no longer do two things. One, we want to avoid or we want to stop unconsciously mimicking the ways that we were parented or treated before we became adults. And two, we want to avoid or we want to stop parenting from a place of anger and anxious reactions to society's ideas on how young people should be raised or treated. Basically, when we say we're raising free people, we've decided that respect and love, not fear and control, will be how we raise and regard the youngest members of our homes and our society. Calling it raising free people work or RFP work is our way of acknowledging that this is work and that there are tools and people and books and events and public groups and private groups to support this type of conscious parenting, respectful parenting, liberation-mindedness that is inclusive of the ones who tend to bear the weight of our unhealed wounds are not yet adults. When we're raising free people, we want to start or continue engaging more deeply in our own intuitive knowledge, eliminating verbal abuse and physical abuse from our children's lives, sustaining healthy, respect and love-centered boundaries, accepting but also steadily shortening the dissonance gap between our own beliefs and our reactions to children's behaviors, deepening our understanding of the ways that varying forms of oppression intersect and are perpetuated through our adult and non-adult relationships. 
we want to start or continue deepening our understanding of the ways that varying forms of oppression intersect and are perpetuated through adult-non-adult relationships. And then we want to start or we want to continue disrupting our connections to those oppressive ways and replacing them with mindful, peaceful, consistent, freedom-centered relationships. The trouble is that if we don't see how to begin working through our own personal baggage, our triggers, our unresolved wounds, then we can't help but pile it onto other people, especially the ones over whom we have power, which for most adults is not other adults. It's our youngest people. I realized in my own life that because I was so busy chasing the dream, which included getting my daughters in school and focused on being excellent students, that I was consoling my daughters when they expressed their needs or shutting them down until Chris and I learned how to use our daughters' perspectives and cues to help us as their parents make the decisions that would empower them. But before Chris and I started doing this work, we were part of the system of oppression that kept our children in school, which did not benefit them. They were trained at school and trained at home to ignore their needs and feelings in favor of what society or the powers that be, which for a child is basically the adults in their homes and in their schools, what those powers say is best. And as many adults will tell you, we never lose that. Most of us never lose that sense that we will need someone else to be in control of some aspect of our lives. We are trained that way as children, And we spend our adult lives, sometimes unsuccessfully, trying to acquire the tools to confidently lead ourselves. Except we have no practice with actual personal leadership. All we have is practice being graded and scored and approved and validated by people in power. So when we're ousted from whatever safety zone or bubble we're groomed in, and we get out into the actual world... Our late teens and 20s and 30s, I can keep going, are full of us wondering why we can't seem to get it, why we can't seem to have the life that everyone said we'd have if we followed the paths that the adults in our lives when we were children said we should follow. To raise free people is to first acknowledge that reality because it's far too common a story to ignore. And once we acknowledge that reality, The next step when you're figuring out what it means for you to be raising free people is to question that reality, to take it off autoplay and pause it so you can question it. To raise free people is to question why your chest tightens every time somebody tells you that your child should be sleeping in their own bed by now because you don't even feel like that's true for you and your child, but you still make excuses for why he's not in his own bed. To raise free people is to question why you gravitate towards more mindful, more peaceful parenting, but you still keep forcing the children in your life to do the conventional things, even though you're not quite feeling those things. To raise free people is to discover books, psychological theories, research studies, blog posts, videos about contributing emotionally stable people to the world through your work as a family member or educator only to realize that so much of what society does with children in the name of making children better 
is actually creating emotionally constipated, defensive, unconfident, competition-driven adults who constantly feel terrible at adulting. To raise free people is to recognize how much of our perspective on raising or educating children is based on a fear of who they might grow up to be in society if we don't give them the right things. And to recognize why that's not actually a healthy fear, because it's rooted in a feeling of lack of control and lack of power in ways that turn us against children and their normal ways. So to raise free people is to unschool ourselves from the habits and beliefs that are incongruous with how we want to make space for our children to own themselves. To raise free people is to ask yourself, in the middle of being angry with a child, is my reaction a symptom of something I myself need to work through and not something I need to resolve in my child? There are four parts to the Raising Free People walk. Generally, there are four. The first one is awareness. The conscious realization of the various ways we come to learn and accept harmful relationship management tools. In this phase, we examine the colonization of our own minds and the resulting actions. This is the starting grounds for acknowledging and questioning the roots beneath our patterns. The second step is disruption, deliberately installing temporary barriers to the behaviors within ourselves that go against our belief in raising free people. Loving self-inquiry and the consistent decision to choose silent witnessing over reactive parenting are two of the powerful tools for this part of the journey. Here we get to acknowledge our usage of the far too normal, harmful tactics of force, manipulation, punishment, and silencing, and we start testing out ways to stop those behaviors even when we're not sure what to do instead. The third part is de-schooling, and that's the lifelong process of transitioning from urgent disruption to a slow and steady practice of facing, naming, and shedding our old normal. And then that fourth step is unschooling the lifelong practice of developing and gaining confidence in child-trusting, anti-oppressive, freedom-respecting, love-centered relationships with children. And this is not merely about educational choices, but about liberatory relationships and about healing from trauma-turned parenting style. To raise free people is to acknowledge your own true feelings about the ways that conventional approaches to discipline and to education just don't sit well with you. To raise a free person, we have to also decide to become one. And in defining ourselves as free or getting free, we walk a path that insists that you face your own beliefs and shed the ones that you once used to protect yourself, but that no longer serve you. So as we start this self-inquiry on the road to defining ourselves as free, or as getting free, what happens is we come face to face with some tough truths. One of which is that the beliefs that our families use to raise us are embedded in our minds, even when we don't agree with them. They are sometimes our default choices even. The way she never wears red because her mother told her it made her face look dull. She never thought that before. 
and she didn't even believe it was true, but she never wore red. A mother's decision became her daughter's default. The system of beliefs and ideals that we grow up in as children show up as our default adult choices. Parenting experiences psychologically significantly impact our emotions and behaviors well into adulthood. So this transgenerational transmission of some of your parents' and grandparents' beliefs, not the beliefs that support you, the ones that suppress you, those can be very present in our lives, unconsciously sometimes, and can pose a serious barrier to developing a confident attunement to the subtle shifting needs of the children in our lives, as well as our own needs. One of the biggest points of vulnerability in this work is that we are the parents and educators who want to be ourselves with children. We want to develop respect, not fear, in our relationships with young people. And we don't want to present some idea of perfected adulting to impress younger people and to hide our insecurities. We want children to know that mistakes are normal and that the best solutions can come from making mistakes. We want children to grow up trusting that and trusting themselves. And so we practice trusting children. So to raise free people is to commit to being or getting really clear about what you believe, what you believe in, and how your life choices affirm or conflict with those beliefs. This is how parenting is political for me and for so many others. There's a particular history too for black women of motherhood being the bridge to their activism. Quote, black female political activists had become involved in politics as a result of their earlier agitation on behalf of the children of their community. Effective black mothers were said to be the ones who were sophisticated mediators between the competing offerings of an oppressive dominant culture and a nurturing black value structure, end quote. That's an excerpt from a paper referencing the work of a few black women scholars, and it's available publicly online. It's called Community Mothering, the Relationship Between Mothering and the Community Work of Black Women, and it was written by Arlene E. Edwards. So motherhood, fatherhood, the ways that we support children's education is, in my opinion, inherently political. And when I recognized that, I was then free to also recognize the ways that my choices perpetuated the same mindset and fear-based actions that cost me and so many other people years of oppressive, emotionally damaging living before we became adults. I can see oppression clearly as I navigate racism, classism, and sexism. Those things too are part of my reality and disrupting them part of my politics. And when I surrounded myself with resources for beginning to understand and better manage those isms, I learned to use that clarity to shine a light on the ways that my parenting practices, my behaviors weren't at all matching up with my beliefs. That transition was ignited by unschooling, by allowing our children to be leaders in their lifelong learning journey, including learning how to love and lead themselves in community and consistently well. That is the work of raising free people. That is our why. That is what we intend to contribute. 
who we intend to contribute to the world and how we intend to feel as we develop the language and practice for this work. Have you heard of the ALF summer training at Hartwood? Have you registered? You should. I mean, to be entirely honest, people that feel like if they give their child control of their education or their learning that they're going to end up, you know, not doing something productive, it feels like they're missing the point. Because the point is that that's literally impossible. We will always find something to do that's educational in one aspect or another that you may not even know about, which is why strewing and research is important. Whether you're homeschooling, unschooling, unsure, other, if you just want to see what self-directed structure looks like, you should absolutely invest your time and money at ALF Summer at Hartwood ALC, June 7th through 15th. Hello, it's Marley. I'm going to be talking about the Agile Learning Facilitator Training, um, ALF Summer at Hartwood Agile Learning Center. And these are my personal opinions on why it's important to develop these skills and why everybody, I mean everybody, absolutely should look into and register for this since you're getting a lot of tools and insight into how self-directed spaces tend to work in terms of building culture and interaction. These are also, in my opinion, life skills so that you end up dealing with people, more specifically minors, like children, kids, in a way that's respectful of their autonomy and their intelligence, their ability to interpret stuff that you can't imagine, things like that. I definitely feel like the skills that you would learn through this program can be used for a myriad of areas, ranging from like daily life to professional occasions. Like I said, often in interactions with, um, I don't want to use the term children, but minors is weird, so I'm going to just say children. Interactions with children, because I think it's really easy to kind of write them off. But all these skills, you know, they're social skills. So even though you might be learning them in one environment, they don't necessarily go away in another. Seriously, my, my main examples are just patience with people that I disagree with or that don't understand what I'm trying to convey for one reason or another. Being able to communicate not necessarily my frustrations about that, but being able to reword in a way that makes sense for them is something that I had to learn how to do that I'm still learning how to do. And that's in huge part thanks to the honesty and respect that learning how to think like a facilitator demands. So at ALF Summer, it's ALF Summer too, but I like ALF for some reason. At ALF Summer, you're learning how to think like a facilitator, listen actively to people around you, to how to convey that you disagree without being snappy. Problem solving, that still includes respecting the person that you're talking to. It's coming less from a space of let's get this over with and more like I want to come to an agreement. There's also the factor of intentional culture building, which is my interpretation is more like that 
that pertains more to social interaction and um, how to deal with social justice issues. That's normally what I've seen at our school. For example, we've recently had a lot of discussions about gun reform. So we also had talks about voting and things like that. So we have people that make a lot of jokes about things like that, jokes about school shooters and anything relating to guns that could be considered insensitive. And so as a community, we often have discussions about why a lot of people would be sensitive to that topic. So culture building is more of, again, wanting to talk things out and come to an actual agreement that respects people and where they're coming from. Parents should be signed up for this, in my opinion, as well, because it deals with social awareness and how to convey your opinions to other people. Often for me, being the oldest at the school, it's to a younger audience, which can be really weird, especially if they don't understand or it seems like they're not interested or it seems like they're not retaining the information that I find important. But thinking like a facilitator means that you're taking individuality into consideration and using that um, to make the interaction more effective. So if more adults knew how to use the tools that you develop in learning to think like a facilitator, Hartwood has a kind of junior facilitator thing going on. It's not even official, but we just kind of follow the facilitators around until we can understand what they're doing. I think if more parents and more adults were able to understand these, it would definitely help with the whole de-schooling process that a lot of adults might be going through. It's definitely about stepping away from what you would consider to be the the best route for your child or the best way to discuss things with them because i think that in and of itself defeats the purpose or one of the things that i see to be important with self-directed education which is that they can direct themselves to an extent and if you're not allowing them to do that through using facilitator tools like active listening and being willing to be quiet to listen to them talk then they're not going to be able to direct themselves they don't, they're not going to have the space to be able to speak. So I think it's an important component in de-schooling. I also think that it's a matter of getting a lot of information. You know, there's a method a lot of unschooling parents use where they just expose their kids to different things and see what they latch onto and what they don't, strewing. And I think parents need to do that with their approaches to things. I think that's an immensely important aspect to Again, which is why you should go to ALF summer training, especially when it comes to relaying this information to your child or for yourself, you know, a lot of reflection, which is a part of de-schooling, I'm told. Um, I think a lot of adults can also feel like when you're de-schooling, which is, you know, so much more than learning, it often includes the entire relationship you have with a child or your child. That they also feel like, you know, if I stop hitting, if I stop any sort of punishment, stop yelling, then what am I going to do? How am I going to get across? You know, you can't run into the street or you can't steal my credit card, but that's extreme. Um, you can't steal cash from my wallet or whatever. But I think that ALF summer, again, where you need to come for that because facilitators need to be able to convey what's important in that space and that culture for them without seeming domineering because nobody likes to listen to people like that. 
Nobody likes being yelled at or nobody likes feeling like they're being talked down to. So learning how facilitators are able to have genuine discussions person to person, irrespective of age with the people in the space is something that I think everybody, parents in particular in this situation, can learn how to do better. Yep. ALF Summer at Hartwood ALC in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, it's Clarkston, but Atlanta works. Also, the people running it, the people facilitating, Julia and Anthony, who I call my teachers just because I like that term because they do teach me things. They're great people generally, great to talk to, great people to obtain resources from, to come to for advice. So to me, they're excellent at what they do. They're excellent facilitators. So I definitely feel like this is an opportunity to be with top tier facilitators to teach you those skills. Anthony and Julia, they're different from each other, but they're also similar. And so I think that would work out very well for anybody that wants to be around a certain type of person when gaining this information and just talking it through. Julia in particular, in my opinion, is really good about just talking things through until you can come to a solid opinion and be like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Because I know a lot of people want to be sure about how they feel. And Julia is really good at talking through the uncertainties until you can come to something that's genuinely reassuring. Anthony is a well of knowledge and sarcasm. It's excellent to be around him and listen to him talk about things that he's interested in. And that's a lot. So ALF Summer at Hartwood ALC, June 7th through 15th. The show notes page for today's episode is AkilaSRichards.com forward slash 74. So I want you guys to use this voice memo option on AkilaSRichards.com to tell me how this landed for you. Was this useful? Did you hear enough of yourself and your feelings in what I've shared here to feel stronger, more shored up, a little bit more equipped to say what you mean when you use a term like raising free people? Let me know. I need to know because there absolutely needs to be something that is out there that we can point to to say, this is what I mean when I say I believe in raising free people. Thank you to Fair of the Free Child Podcast's newest patron, Angel in Atlanta, who is about to really, really help us do this local community aspect of raising free people work that has just been absent. You know, we need to find more ways to know what's happening in our communities and also to connect with other communities so that we're not duplicating efforts and, you know, doing a lot of solo work in our own pockets and cheering each other on on the internet. There are a lot of ways to do this collaboratively. And I can already see (laughs) from my budding relationship with Angel, we wear each other's WhatsApp memos out. (laughs) I can already see through Angel that there is such an opportunity to share the sort of things that are happening in the self-directed education community around Atlanta in particular. Metro Atlanta, not just the city, with maker spaces and 
intelligent design around community and collaboration. And I'm just really grateful to be connecting with people and amplifying these efforts that are going on in different cities. So if you are in a city where self-directed education is popping, even in tiny little circles, and you know something that's happening that you think might be dope in other cities, leave me a voice memo or send me an email so that we can get connected on WhatsApp. You could tell me about it and I'll just clean that audio up and drop it right here in the podcast so people know what's going on in your city. Let's get more of that popping. But shout out to Angel. Thank you for becoming a patron and for what you're doing in Atlanta towards raising free people. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash Akilah. It's going to be on the show notes page for this episode, akilahsrichards.com forward slash seven four. Support this podcast so that we can continue to do this work. Hi, Akila. Uh, my name is Landy and I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I'm a massive fan. I really enjoy listening to all the things that come up in the podcast and getting lots of inspiration and things to chew over. Thanks for listening to Fair the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at akilahsrichards.com. 